They say love is the strong. Welcome to Speaking of Love, the podcast with your host, LaToya. This podcast was created as a platform for spreading love. They say love is the strongest magnetic force on the planet Earth. But if this is really true, why is love such a complicated subject matter? Welcome to Speaking of Love, the podcast, and I am your host, LaToya. I created this podcast in honor of my dad, who was an acclaimed television broadcast engineer for nearly four decades. He also hosted an award-winning radio show called Speaking of Sports, which is the inspiration behind the name of this podcast, Speaking of Love. My dad was an amazing guy who achieved levels of success that most people only dream of. He was held in the highest esteem, and yes... He was a star in the public eye. But on March 2nd of 2020, his private struggles became public when he murdered his wife moments before taking his own life. So I created this podcast as a platform for spreading love around the globe while raising awareness for mental health and suicide prevention. My name is LaToya Bond, and I have a podcast called Speaking of Love. My podcast is dedicated to the memory of my dad who took his own life in a murder-suicide. Aside from that, I am a business owner. I have a home-based business. I am also a legal professional during my nine-to-five day, and I am a person who operates her entire life on the premise of spreading love. It's the secret to my success. It's the secret to my longevity on this earth, and it's what keeps us going because love is the thing that makes all things beautiful. So that's why I'm here today to talk about my favorite subject in the whole wide world, and that's love. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Speaking of Love, the podcast. I am your host, LaToya, and I am super excited to be here today. I have a beautiful young lady here all the way from Singapore, but she now lives in the United States. I want to introduce you to my guest. Her name is Marie Ellis Cook. Marie was born and raised in Singapore and currently lives in the United States. After discovering her family's narcissistic dynamic, she learned to break free from narcissistic control and overcame the bonds of family enmeshment. She left the corporate world to help women from narcissistic families get unstuck, release their authentic selves, and create healthy marriages for for themselves. So welcome, Marie. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, LaToya. I'm grateful to be here. Thank you for this opportunity. So talk to me about uh, your life and what life was like growing up for you, Marie. Thank you. I I would love to. So like you said, I grew up in Singapore. If there's anyone listening who doesn't know where that is, it's a small country in Southeast Asia. It's between Malaysia and Indonesia. And growing up in a tropical paradise, it was incredible. I love Singapore, but behind closed doors, it was a very different experience. It wasn't paradise. And for a long time, I always felt like something was off in my life. And one of the blessings of growing up with the internet, I remember being 15 and I Googled why is my mom nice to everyone but me? Because I remember 
feeling so confused that she would be so kind and generous. She would make all this food, bake all these things at church for different people. She would preach about love and kindness and being Christ-like at the pulpit. But at home, that wasn't my experience. And so as a child, I was very confused why my mom was a different person at home versus in public. And it wasn't until I was an adult and I started therapy was when I first learned about narcissism, that there are many, many people in this world who walk around having an inflated sense of self-importance, having a lack of empathy, and they don't have the self-awareness and they cannot comprehend that they are emotionally abusive. And so since then, I've spent many years in recovery. Mm. I was mentored myself and I had a sponsor myself. And as I continue to heal and become stronger, that's when I now have the ability to be a mentor and to help other women who do have emotionally unavailable mothers or narcissistic mothers and really help them heal their mother wound. And that's what I do now. Wow, that's amazing, Marie. Can we go back a little bit? Can you give me examples of of the types of treatment you endured from your mom? What was her behavior like? Her behavior was extremely hot and cold. Every day, I wouldn't know what mom I would be getting. Mm. So some days she was extremely kind to me. She would take us to the zoo. And then the next day, I wouldn't know what I have done wrong because she would be cruel. She would yell. She would hit us. And that kind of treatment for a child really just leads to being trauma bonded with someone like that. Because you have this attachment and you have this bond with someone who's hurting you. And I was also my mother's ATM for a long time. When I started working, I was obligated to help her with her finances, to help her out if things were tough for her. And... It wasn't until I was older that I learned about financial abuse and that as a child, I was not responsible to help pay the bills. And a lot of the wounds and a lot of her mistreatment were things that were unseen. And that's the tricky part about emotional abuse is that it's different from being physically or sexually abused where there are physical things and physical wounds that you can see and when your heart is broken over and over again by your mother it's just as damaging as a physical wound Latoya, I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Hello? I can hear you now. Okay, perfect. Sorry about that. So when you were growing up, Marie, I know that this type of trauma can affect you at different levels, at different stages of life. When you were young, as a young girl going through that, how did that affect, how did it impact you emotionally? How were you as a child living under these conditions? I was very stressed as a child. I thought it was normal to lose chunks and chunks of my hair. And looking back now i can see how i was an extension of my mother i wasn't allowed to be an individual Mm. i wasn't allowed to have any autonomy i had to run all my decisions by her 
Wow. And that really affected me as a child because our childhoods really affect our adulthood, right? And when we don't have any experience or we're not allowed to make our own decisions as a child or to even make mistakes, because I was constantly shamed for making mistakes. And I was just always on edge because I was walking on eggshells around her, not sure if I was doing something wrong or if my breathing was going to kick her off somehow. Mm -hmm. And just just always being on edge. And that affected my adulthood. I remember being 18 and I decided to come to the U.S. to attend university. And I would... I would be so embarrassed. I remember going on a date with a guy and I was only 18 and he was a little bit older and I was so excited that someone took interest in me. And I'll never forget, he asked me what I like to do for fun. And I started answering that question and I realized that all the things that I listed, shopping, going to see a play or musicals. I, I do enjoy those things, but I realized all the things I was listing were things that my mother enjoyed. I didn't really have a sense of self and mm-hmm. I didn't really have a sense of who I really was because the only identity I was allowed to have at that point in my life, till that point in my life, was whatever my mother allowed. Wow. Now, Marie, where did where do you think her behavior came from? Why was she like this towards you and your siblings? That's a great question. I've studied a lot about this, and there are several factors that can lead to someone having narcissistic tendencies. Hmm. And it always boils down to nature versus nurture. Are narcissists born that way or are they nurtured in environments where they start to develop such traits? And looking back now and remembering some of the things that my mother has shared with me about her life, about her childhood, I can see how her environment growing up let her to develop narcissistic traits because growing up in a Chinese family in Chinese culture like individualism is frowned upon and that's that's why a lot of Asian families in general are enmeshed where there's no privacy there's a lack of individual identity because the family functions as a unit And if you break away by doing your own thing or doing something that your family doesn't approve of, you're kind of seen as a traitor. And if you're familiar with the Disney movie Mulan, a common joke in that movie is bringing dishonor to your family or being disowned. And that is a very real thing in Chinese families and in Asian families in general, where mm-hmm. you are so enmeshed with your family that breaking away from them or being independent somehow is seen as a threat to them. Wow. And so my mom grew up with that mentality. And so I know it's hot for her to be around family members who she may disagree with or just not really accept them for who they are because she wasn't given that opportunity to create her own identity. She was kind of forced to follow our family traditions. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you mentioned earlier that your mom also had the ability to be kind and go on Sunday and prepare meals and things like that. So I guess the complexities of narcissism can have you perform in any way. It's almost like you're 
you're splitting yourself into different personalities because to have the ability to go and be kind to strangers and put on this show for the world. But then when you're home with your children, you're a different person that can be very deceptive and confusing for kids as well. Oh, definitely. And something I've learned too, is that what narcissistic people show and, and you use the what perform, which is a great, term to describe what they do it really is a counterfeit form of love what they show because they will try really hard to come across as authentic and genuine and loving and generous but really it's just for show yeah it's part of their image and their reputation that they're trying to protect. And that's something that I've had to heal from and truly accept that my mom would rather look like a good mom and not actually be one. Sure, sure. Not actually being a good mom, just want wanting to look good. Yeah. So what's your relationship like with your mom now, Marie? I don't have a relationship with her. Okay. Okay. So you have taken your pain, your trauma, and you have turned it into a mechanism to help other people. And that's why I wanted you here today, Marie, because this show is all about honoring people who take their lives for the betterment of others. And that's what you have done. So talk to me about the services that you provide now and how do people benefit from your work? I would love to. So I am a certified recovery coach and I first went into coaching because I worked with a life coach and it changed my life. Mm. And for those who aren't familiar with coaching, It is similar to therapy in the sense that you're working with someone who's like a guide, but therapy is more about the past and coaching is more future focused. And so I usually only work with women who have been in therapy before because we don't really go too deep into the past when I'm your coach. And what I do really is to help women who come from narcissistic families really break free from narcissistic control and abuse permanently. And that's something that's really difficult. It is a painful work. It's a work that not everyone is ready for. And for my clients who are ready, we achieve incredible things together. Mm. And not only do they become more independent and really create their individual identities separate from their families? They're, they then have the confidence to try and really achieve what they've always wanted, whether it's going on a date because she used to think that she would be alone forever because that's what her mother told her or starting their own business or mm-hmm applying to a grad school that she's always wanted there there are different things that my clients have achieved but what the common thing is is really just that autonomy that they've now released because it's been suppressed and trapped in them for a long time so what is the first step to releasing that type of traumatic situation The first step is really acceptance. A lot of the time, we still have that hope in us that, oh, maybe I can change my mom. Maybe I can change my dad. And really, we can't change anyone. We can't control anyone. The only people that we can change and we can control are ourselves. And acceptance work can be really difficult, but it is empowering it allows us to release that need to control things that we really don't have control over. Mm-hmm. So Marie, if you're, if you're for someone who's watching right now, if they're in a relationship, whether it be with your mom, your dad, 
a relative, a coworker, and the person is not treating them the way they deserve to be treated, exhibiting narcissistic traits, what advice would you give someone who may be living with this type of situation? That's a great question. If you're still living with a narcissistic person, that's definitely very tricky. But my suggestion really would be to create a safe space for yourself, a physical space. So whether it's your bedroom or even the bathroom where it can be a refuge from this person, especially if you're still living with them, because when you're still living with them, they not only are able to emotionally abuse you more, but if you're still living with them, it probably means that you're not financially independent yet. And that's something that I work on with my clients as well, is being financially independent. Because a lot of the time, narcissists, they love to hold money against you and That's something that I've had to heal from and work through as well, that I can be a business owner. I can take care of my family by myself without my mother's help. And if you're listening and you're afraid to move out and you're still living with a narcissist, I just want you to know that it's okay and that you're not a bad person if you don't live with your narcissistic family. Now, Marie, what are are some of the characteristics of someone who may be narcissistic? Can you break that down for us for let us know what that means? Yeah, definitely. So narcissism is on a spectrum and someone can have a few narcissistic traits And on the other side of the spectrum is full-blown narcissistic personality disorder. And I have the diagnostic criteria of narcissistic personality disorder pulled up and I can read it for you real quick. And there's nine of them and someone would need to have five of the nine to qualify for NPD. So the first one is a grand sense of pride and self-importance. They have excessive need for unlimited success, power, good looks, ideal love. Number three, they have a false belief of being extremely special and unique. Number four, sense of entitlement. Number five, a need for excessive admiration and acknowledgement. Number six, an exploitative attitude towards interpersonal relationships. Number seven, they have a lack of empathy for others. Number eight, they are envious of others and they believe that others are jealous of them. And number nine, they have arrogant, proud, and snooty behaviors towards others. Mm. So in order to to be properly diagnosed as a narcissist, you have to have at least a minimum of five of those characteristics. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. That's from the American um, Psychology Association. That's what they say. But from my experience, most of the narcissists I know have more than five of those traits, (laughs) unfortunately. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah, wow. Wow, you are a courageous young woman. I truly admire your strength for coming forward and talking about this topic because it's a sensitive subject matter to grow up in a household and have to endure so much. And a lot of times people are not strong enough to step outside of their past and their childhood and not let it affect them. Do you have any residual effects from what you've experienced as a child? Like, are you okay now? I'm definitely better now, but I do still have to be intentional and conscious of my behavior and my thoughts as well. And I do still get triggered sometimes. I mean, when my son was born, he was he's almost two now, but when he was first born, if 
you know, newborns, they are always crying, even if they're fed and they're warm and they're dry, they will still cry for some reason. And I remember feeling really triggered because it would remind me of when I was a child and I would be crying. I would be crying for my mother and she would ignore me. And sometimes she would tell me I'm crying too much and really just dismiss my emotions. Wow. And seeing my son cry that way brought me to that dark place as a child of being emotionally neglected. And so it's something that I'm still working on, especially now that I'm a parent myself. I'm really just showing up and being the mother that I wished I had for my own son. And that requires a lot of hard work, Mm. being emotionally healthy, being emotionally available. It's it's not easy, but it's, it's incredibly worth it. Of course, of course it is. So Marie, you have endured all of this and you just talked about showing up emotionally to be there for your son. But as you look back over your life, because your mom was dealing with this, who was there for you? That's a great question. God was definitely there for me. And for a long time, I actually kind of stayed away from church because I was like, religious people are hypocritical. Like if God really loved me, he wouldn't let my mother treat me this way. Mm -hmm. And I've realized that God is there for me and that he was always there. And Mm -hmm. looking back now, I mean, I had so many church friends who didn't notice that something was off in my family and they would be there for me. And Mm -hmm. I really just have been blessed with a lot of great friends who I consider my chosen family. Now, how many siblings grew up in the household with you? I have one brother. Okay. And how is he now? He is fine. I also do not have a relationship with him. I see. I see. So, Marie, what are you most proud of? You've taken your life and you've given it a greater purpose. You help people. What are you most proud of with the work that you're doing right now? I think I'm most proud of how much my clients and even women who don't end up working with me, but women I talk to every day and seeing how even just one suggestion from me or one recommendation changes the trajectory of their life. Mm-hmm. Because I've been there, I know what it's like to feel unworthy, to constantly crave for my mother's approval. And so seeing other women let go of that and to really love themselves and give themselves the love that they keep trying to chase their mother for like that is Mm -hmm. extremely rewarding to me to watch that transformation that's beautiful you know I'm 48 years old and I will be honest with you I grew up in a household where my mom was like a drill sergeant she was very strict and very rigid and unyielding And as I sit before you today at the age of, I'm 47 years old, um, I know that there's always a desire to please my mom. Even though I'm this age, I still have that desire to make her happy, to show her how smart I am and make her proud. But I, I have to realize that that's not my role anymore. I'm not the little girl that has to do what mommy says to do to make her happy. And that comes from being raised in a way where, like you, Marie, 
I wasn't allowed to have my own individual individuality. I had to show up and be an extension of mom or cook the way she cooks or live the way she lives or walk the way she walked. And that's just, it's totally damaging. And you have to work hard not to let that affect you in your day to day, no matter how old you are. Because it's almost like a computer. When you get your computer and you program and you put all your software packets on there, that lives with that computer until you change it. And it's the same way with raising a child. Whatever you put into them when they're young, it's going to stay with them forever. Exactly. And with my son, I mean, sometimes people send me mean messages some from my own family and they're like how would you feel if your son cut you off the way you cut your mom off and I'm like if that's what he needs go for it like I'm I'm so confident of myself that I don't need my son to take care of my emotional needs that's not his responsibility mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he, you know if he ever thinks I'm a narcissist or he is hurt by something that I've done, I'm willing to have a conversation with him. Mm-hmm. And that's how we break generational trauma and really change things up for the next generation is really by having that self-awareness to say, hey, this isn't okay. That's right. And I have the confidence to be able to get help. And that's something that was very hard for me the past, I want to say five years, because I would ask my mother if she would want to go to therapy and she got extremely offended and Mm. like, oh, like being in the US has made you try all these things. Like you're not depressed. Like you don't need to go to therapy you don't need medication. And there was a really dark time in my life where I was struggling with suicide ideation. And I called her crying. I think I was like 21. And she was like, you can tell me anything. And it's like little crumbs like that, that she would give to me that would make me feel like, oh, like my mom does love me. She does care about me. Seemed really concerned. So I confided in her that I was really struggling. And she was like, what would people think? What would people think if they knew that you wanted to kill yourself? Hmm. And it was a wake-up call to me that she didn't genuinely care about me, that she cared more about her image if I hurt myself that she would look like a bad mom. And with my own son, it's like, I wanna be an emotionally safe person for him, that he can tell me anything and that I won't freak out or lash out the way my mother. And if we ever have conflict, I'm willing to you know, seek out professional help or get a mediator, whatever it, whatever it takes to save the relationship, I will do it. And I accept that my mother isn't right. like me in that way. Yeah. And I want to go back to that point as well. Your mom gave birth to you. She had a responsibility to love you. To, te- to take care of you, to protect you, to cherish you. As a mother, she had a role and a responsibility to fulfill. And she didn't do that. She didn't do it the right way. And so because you have been traumatized, you have been affected, you have been damaged by her actions. You are the recipient of pain from the one person in this world who is supposed to love and protect you. And because she's not willing to acknowledge her role in your damage, you have every right to walk away from her because if you stay with her, the damage will only continue. It's never going to stop. And so it's normal for people to walk through the world craving a mother's love. That's just the, that's the law of nature. 
Every child wants to be loved by their mother. You've reached out to her and you explain to her, I'm having suicidal thoughts. I don't want to be here anymore. In that moment, you were reaching out for your mother's hand one last time. Mom, save me, help me, love me, nurture me, hug me. And she turned it around and made it about the outer appearances. Yeah. So you have done the right thing, please. And when people talk like that, oh, well, that's your mother. That's your mother. They're speaking from a place of someone that probably had a normal life with their mother, a loving, a caring, a nurturing mother. You can't raise children, hurt them, traumatize them, treat them this way, and then expect to have a happy life and a relationship years later. It doesn't work that way. I guarantee you, if you're riding in the car with your mother, you probably don't even feel comfortable being with her in those moments. So please don't let the comments that people have given to you affect the way you move with your mom, because I think the distance is what you need for your own growth and evolution, for your own health. And Lord, let's not even talk about your son. Your son doesn't need to experience the same hurt and pain that you experience. So you have to distance the relationship with your son and your mom as well, because people like that don't change. And if she hurt you, she will hurt her grandson. Oh, definitely. I my so my dad is older. He's he's in his eighties, and my original plan was to go no contact with my mom after my dad passes away eventually. And the past couple of years, I've just been limited contact with her just to be able to still have relationship with my dad because I knew that if I cut her out that she wouldn't let me talk to him still and when my son was born my parents came to the U.S. from Singapore and I actually didn't invite them they just came and my mother was upset about something and she started screaming at me and I had a, a, a really difficult birth with my son I was still in a lot of pain and she was screaming at me while my son was asleep Mm. and he woke up because she was screaming and that was a slap in my face that I had to expedite going no contact because her behavior and her screaming and lashing out, I was just so used to it. (laughs) Like, I just thought it was normal. But to see my son cry out in fear like that made me realize that I had been tolerating her behavior for way too long. Mm. And that and that I had to protect him from her. So that was when, so shortly after he was born was when I went no contact with her. And I also had to grieve that I wouldn't be able to have a relationship with my dad anymore and I did talk to him about it and he understood and said if you feel like this is what's best for you to not have a relationship with your mom like I I understand and so he kind of gave me the okay and mm-hmm. that's when I cut my parents off I understand well, thank you for being so candid with us today, Marie. You have you are a woman of a lot of strength and a lot of courage. Where does that strength come from? Where where did you get this? I think I've always had it. I've I've always been a resilient person and I think with education and knowledge and really just learning that I can create a healthy family myself yes. has motivated me to put in the work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, I feel like I've always, I've always been resilient. Mm-hmm. And you have another opportunity, Marie. You didn't get what you deserved with your mom. You didn't get that loving relationship. But now you have the opportunity to make it up with your son. Give him all the love that you didn't get from your mother, all the hugs, all the affection, all the listening, everything that you needed and didn't get. 
give it to him. And that'll be your your makeup for it. Thank you. Yeah, it's been such a joy being a mom. And looking back, my mom would always say whenever I would question her or she would tell me I'm being rebellious or being disobedient, she would be like, one day when you're a mom, like you'll know why I did this. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And now that I'm a mom, I'm like, I don't get it. it. Like, what? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I... I forgive her and I can understand how hard it is to be a mother, but I don't think I will ever understand it because I would never treat my son the way she treated me. Wow. Now, did she ever ask for her, for you to forgive her? Or did you just give her the forgiveness? Well, growing up, forgiveness was always kind of thrown around. Like Mm -hmm. it wasn't something that was sincere it was more of an act of obedience to show her that I'm loyal to her even though she hurt me right but as an adult working through my own healing I've decided that I wanted to forgive her for my own sake and to release the hope I have that she would change Right, right. And that that's something that has helped me and also realizing that you can forgive someone and not have a relationship with them because forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation. No, it doesn't. And 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 too often, especially people who are religious, they're like, Oh, like she's your mother, you need to forgive her. And I'm like, Oh, I already do. Like what makes you think that I haven't? You know, and, and people make these assumptions because they have this expectation of what a happy family looks like. And mm-hmm. I, I really believe that, it, it, that it's okay to be born into a specific family, but you don't have to spend the rest of your life having relationships with them if they hurt you, if they abuse you, and if you're just not comfortable around them. Yeah, if it doesn't benefit you, especially in terms of your health and your mental stability, you have to survive and do what's best for you. And I want to go back to another point. We were talking about your son and loving and taking care of him, but I have also learned that the number one way to prevent suicide is we have to teach our children how to cope at a very young age. Because if you don't have great coping skills, you're not going to have a very good life because life is going to throw things at you at the most inopportune moments. And we have to teach our children how to cope. That's the number one thing. Give them coping skills at a young age. A lot of times when children are in school and they're bullied and the person takes their own life, the bully gets blamed, right? But really what the bigger issue is, is a lack of coping skills. So as parents, in addition to loving our children and disciplining our children, we need to teach them coping skills, how to cope with life, how to cope with situations. A lot of times as mothers, we shelter our kids. Oh, I don't want him to feel any pain. Let me help him. No, teach him how to cope. Don't hover them because when they get older, the world is not going to hover them. The world doesn't care about them. So thank you for being here today, Marie. I do have a few more questions for you, but do you have anything that you would like to bring to the forefront of this conversation before we go further? I wanted to add to what you said real quick about coping skills and the importance of showing our children how to cope when we're angry or sad in healthy ways, because those emotions are natural. And growing up, being sad, crying, being frustrated, I was shamed for feeling those things. And I, and I always thought that it was bad to be emotional. And now with my son, my main goal really is to 
model healthy behavior for him. And the other day, it was kind of funny. I was feeling a, a little stressed, so I started doing some deep breathing exercises that I like to do. And I noticed that he was copying me. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> like it was so cute. <laughs> and, and he's so little, and and they really copy us. They're like they're like little mirrors. They they really mm-hmm. follow what we do. They so I wanted, do. I wanted to share that. Oh, yes, they do. You know, I have really enjoyed our conversation here, Marie. I identify with a lot of what you're saying today, Um, but I want to go forward in an interview. Now, on this podcast, speaking of love, it was created in honor of my dad. My dad took his own life in a murder-suicide. He murdered his wife, and then moments later, he murdered himself. And uh, I wanted to do something special to honor my dad. And many years ago, he had a radio show called Speaking of Sports. And I wanted to do something special, but I don't know much about sports. So I created this podcast, Speaking of Love, in honor of his show, Speaking of Sports. So the million-dollar question that I ask all of my guests who sit before me is, how do you define love, Marie? What's your definition of love? I love that question. That's a beautiful question. My definition of love is pure energy. Mm. It's positive energy. It's authentic energy. It's genuine energy that you can feel. Yes. And growing up the way I did, when I would be told that I was loved, that I was loved, I always felt confused. And it wasn't until I was older when I would have friends and guys I dated and now my husband, like when they tell me that they love me, I feel that pure, genuine energy from them. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I love that. I love it. Excellent. Marie Ellis Cook, when the pages of your life are reviewed and your mission here on the planet Earth is complete, what do you most want to be remembered for? What's your legacy? My legacy will be one of being a cycle breaker. Mm. That the chaos and emotional abuse ended with me. Wow. And it will just be stories of mistreatment from my future children and, and future generations from me. And they will they will learn about the past, but it won't be their experience. Wow. It just touched my heart. That's so sweet. Thank you. Marie, you are amazing. I just I feel such a connection to you. And I'm so glad that you were here as my guest on Speaking of Love. I have a few people that are watching um, on YouTube and through Facebook. I want to give a shout out to some of our Facebook viewers. Uh, I'm not, not sure who this is. It just says, this is amazing. Thank you for sharing your story. It is empowering. Um, next, we have Keith Carter Jr., And he says that usually it's because the mom went through it as a child. So they brought the characteristics to their children. Thank you for your comment, Keith. We have Victor here today. Hi, Victor. Again, we have another message from Keith. Trauma is very serious and we need to look at it more seriously and get the proper help that is needed. I agree with that. Victor says his grandma's maiden name is Cook. <laughs> so Cook is your, is that your maiden name, Marie? No, it's it's my married name. Ellis uh-huh. is my maiden name. Mm-hmm. I see. And it looks like Victor was sending a re- reply to Keith. A lot of this is to blame is for the healthcare system and the class war dividing our communities and ruining our mental health. Thank you, Victor. And we have one last comment. Well, we have quite a few comments. We have Millicent McClary here. 
She's the mother of a few of my former students. It says, I'm so glad myself and my children, we're always encouraged to be individuals. It's so important to establish your own personality for growth. Would you agree with that, Marie? Definitely. I love that. Individual identity is very important. Yes, it is. Um, we have another message here from Keith because being hurt and dealt hurt, then told I love you is not love, it's pain because love is not hurt pain nor abuse in any shape. That's powerful, Keith. Thank you. So, Marie, is there anything else you'd like to say before we conclude the interview? Thank you so much, LaToya, for having me and for reading those comments. It was wonderful to hear what the listeners thought. And I really hope that whoever is listening who feels alone feels less alone listening to this. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And I bow to your excellence. Thank you for being a guest on Speaking of Love, the podcast. And if there's any way I can ever support you in your network and your platform, please let me know. Um, if there is anyone who's watching this right now who may be feeling suicidal, I want you to do me a favor and look at the screen. Please dial 988. That's the suicide lifeline number. Just like you dial 911 in an emergency, you can now dial 988 and get help. Suicide lifeline number is 988. Marie, tell my audience how they can get in touch with you. What is your contact information? Yes, you can find me on my website, Marie Ellis Cook, or send me a direct message on Instagram, and it's also Marie Ellis Cook. Marie Ellis Cook. Well, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful episode. This is episode 111 of Speaking of Love, the podcast featuring Marie Ellis Cook. This podcast will be available on all major podcast platforms, including iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Facebook, YouTube, everywhere, Speaking of Love. And I will be back here next Saturday with another guest of Speaking of Love. I hope you all have a wonderful week and stay safe and spread more love. Have a great day, everyone.